You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello and good morning, everyone. I am your host, Mari Fagel. This is Justice is Served. And uh, we have two special guests on the line this morning that will be joining me, uh, Susan Burton and Tiffany Johnson from A New Way of Life. Uh, Good morning, Susan, and good morning, Tiffany. Good morning. Good morning, Mari. Now, A New Way of Life is an organization based here in California that helps uh, formerly incarcerated women reenter society. And I actually read about this organization. I was reading the book, uh, Orange is the New Black. I watched the season. I was reading the book. And then in the back of the book, there was a list of organizations that the author uh, had recommended. And that was the first time I heard of A New Way of Life. And then I went online and I was reading about Susan, you and your personal story. And I really was fascinated. You, um, you know, really turned around your life and took some personal tragedies that happened to you, and now you are devoted to helping other women. So, Susan, just tell me a little bit about your personal story and how you came to create a new way of life. Okay. Um, you know, so it was 1982, and my five-year-old son was uh, ran over accidentally by uh, LAPD detectives. And I was just shattered. Um, My grief was just so unbearable, I began to drink. It was my first time ever dealing with grief. And my drinking escalated to illegal drugs. And that got me incarcerated over and over and over again. After uh, being uh, sentenced multiple times for to prison for uh, uh, having possession of an illegal substance, I found someone who helped me. I found a place in Santa Monica that reached out to me, helped me with my addiction, helped me with therapy. I, I addressed my grief, and I was just appalled that there was something different for me that could have been for me than prison and couldn't understand why I hadn't received that prior to all of those prison sentences. So what I said I was going to do is uh, reach out to the women like me who had been caught up in a cycle of incarceration because of a substance abuse problem. And I created a new way of life. I worked and um, saved money and got a little house and that's, at that point, I would go down to the bus station and meet Greek women as they were getting off the bus saying, I had a safe place for you to return to. If people have services and supports coming back into the community, they don't recidivate. Um, the recidivate, recidivation, recidivism rate in California is 
well above 70%. And what we've done in the way of life is uh, made success 80% for those uh, women coming back that come to our homes and receive services. And now, Susan, when I was reading about your personal story, uh, you mentioned, so you served six prison sentences for drug-related felonies. And I was reading, I thought it was interesting, on on your way out, a prison guard even said to you, I will see you back in a little while. And this this is what it's like for, for a lot of women. And I was fascinated by the fact that you would go downtown and pick up these women off the bus. They only have $200 in their pocket. So... Explain to me what that was like for you um, before you started this program, what it's like to just be be dropped back off, uh, you know, very little money, no place to stay, no job options. What do you do? I mean, you're on a bus, you're, you're released from prison, and the guards are harassing you on the way out the door, uh, uh, sort of playing with you, telling you the only place you're going to get a job is in prison, and in prison, any job that you get you anywhere from five cents an hour to a dollar an hour. A dollar an hour would be like a a a a real, real high end executive job that people are making, you know, um six figures. So, um, you know, you get on a bus and you you're hoping with all of your heart, with all of your soul that you're gonna make it. You don't want to return, but you get off a bus, you have no ID. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long ride, a five, six-hour ride, and you, you're sitting there and you've been tormented and tortured and caged uh, while imprisoned, and then you're free and you're giving all of these rights back, but you have no resources. You have less than $200 because you brought your bus ticket, and, and you're hoping that you make it, and, and you're trying to navigate, and you're dropped off downtown Skid Row. You get off a bus and you're trying to make it. And, and and the odds are so overwhelmingly against you, but there's the hope in your heart that you do make it. And without the resources, without supports uh, to heal from the trauma of incarceration, to support you to get an ID, to have an address that you can even mail an ID to, uh, to have a place to come after you're trudging the streets, trying to get a job, you know, trying to comply with your conditions of release. Um, trying to reunite with family, trying to do all all sorts of things to bring your life back together. So what I found that is key to have a safe place to be and to have encouragement and support through uh, your 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 trudge back to the community, your so trudge t- to just live. So tell me about the resources that a new way of life um, provides women once they uh, contact the organization. So we um, we pick up upon release. Uh, we provide you with food, clothing, shelter, uh, a place that you can belong. Uh, we have social work services. Um, we have um, resume writing. We have um, different types of classes. Uh, last night we had a class called uh, LEAD, Leadership Education, Action and Dialogue where we, we um, have conversations around the broader uh, societal landscape for uh, formerly incarcerated women, for uh, poor women, for uh, women who um, are, you know, trying to make it back. And, you know, what, what are some of the obstacles? What are the realities? What are the isms of the world? 
from racism, classism, sexism, uh, homophobia, and capitalism. Because what we see is that um, uh, companies capitalize on those that are uh, unfortunate enough to be incarcerated. And those uh, same uh, entities and businesses and, and organizations that profit from prison, um, they don't give any services to people, any resources to people who are reentering. So it's a real um, um, capitalism sort of a, a effort, mass incarceration, breeds capitalism. So we look at all of that through, through the LEAD project. And now, uh, Tiffany, I want to bring you in. Uh, I want to ask how you came to find a new way of life and how it has affected your life being a part of this organization. Well, I found a new way of life while I was serving a a prison sentence of 15 to life, and I had to go in front of a a board, uh, a parole board, to um, see if I can get release. And upon... Right before I went to, I think, my third board hearing, I came across a flyer in the prison that was circulating about um, a new way of life and all that they offered. And so I, I took a chance on writing the, the woman who I found into in prison, and I asked her, and I told her my story, and I told her I was a lifer, and I didn't know when I was going to be getting out, but I needed to have a resource and a place to uh, in order to take it to the board so they can hopefully find me suitable um, for parole. So I wrote her this letter and asked for a bed whenever I did get released. And um, she wrote me back and she said, well, whenever you get released, I will have a bed open for you. Well, it was six years later that I got um, granted parole and... They, we contacted Ms. Burton again, and she said, I still have that bed open for you. And then you come coming. So that's how I um, came to be out of New Way of Life. I, I went there in 2010, April, 20, April 28th, and um, I actually started my New Way of Life. And, I mean, it was scary but um, amazing at the same time because I walked into this home that, you, you just walk in and you feel the love and you feel the support. And, and there are people who are um, the staff that works there, they just embrace you and they're there to help guide you. I, I did 16 years, um, I, 16 years on my 15 to life sentence. So I was away from society for such a long time. I um, I really didn't know how to reintegrate back into and there are so many things that had changed. So I, I didn't know how to, to cell phone. I, I didn't know how to turn on a shower. You know, I didn't know how to go to the grocery store and swipe a card. I'm like, what is the swiping a card, you know? But Ms. Burton, um, she actually took me hand by hand and taught me everything that I needed to um, learn to fit back into society as well as her staff. You know, they help guide me into um, going to get the necessary paperwork, uh, my driver's license, my social security card, I mean, well, my ID first, but, you know, and my social security card and 
and it just placed me in the right places at the right time, and they gave me the support, you know, so that that's the experience I got out of every way of life, and to this day, I still get out of it. You learn something new. It's, um, it's a, um, the, the home, when you leave the home, you really don't leave the home because it's family, and family looks after family, and so you, you keep in touch, and, and they keep in touch, and they want to know what's going on, and, and if they can help, and what do you need, you know? And so it, it's a, a way of life that is showing you so many different um, outlooks on life that if you have a dream, you know, go after your dream. That's when she teaches that a lot. You know, she wants you to find your dream. What are you thinking about? What do you want to do in your life? How do you want to become a success in your life? And, and once you find that out, she helps guide you to that dream. And now I want to ask about some of the conditions within prison that may be affecting the high rate of recidivism of um, prisoners returning back to prison after their release. Uh, obviously, in California, there's a big issue of prison overcrowding, and that's one uh, that the state has tried to address uh, in reducing the number of inmates. How do you think that uh, prison overcrowding and the programs that have been put in place thus far to try to reduce it have affected uh, prisoners inside and even your chances outside? Well, the fact that, um, you know, society thinks that there's a lot of programs inside of the prison that is going to help rehabilitate um, the people that are there. Um, well, they've cut all those programs. There used to be schools and um, job um, training and all that stuff. There's no longer none of that. I mean, maybe a handful of um, um, school like you can get your D or some type of training in there, but it's only limited to a, a certain amount of people, like maybe 20 here and, and 30 there. Well, you have a prison of 4,000 women. That means that only 1% of them can actually get some type of education. You know, so we're really left in there to fend ourselves, you know, and, and the coming back out, to get a job, you know, yeah, while we're in there, we're working on ourselves. We're trying to, we're doing best we can with what's available, which is really nothing. So, but when we come out, it's so hard to, to obtain a job, obtain um, living conditions, because, you know, you have to, you got to go through the, the, the cycle of, filling out your application and checking a box that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? And, of course, you have to say yes, and then saying yes, you're denied that job at the start. They don't even, you know, so we run up against so many barriers. And so I think the rate of recidivism is based on the fact that once we do get released and we want to change and we notice and we find out that the society does not want us to change, Connect to our own devices, and you have a choice: do I do I die out here or do I survive? And so your survival mode kicks in, and sometimes it's an illegal survival mode, but you have to survive. And so you get caught. You, you're caught in that trap. You're caught in that cycle that the, the system is has been designed to keep you in. 
And I want to ask you about uh, something, a program in New York State that may soon be implemented and your thoughts on this. Uh, Governor Cuomo announced a plan for New York State to again begin funding college courses for inmates. Prison inmates there are eligible for mainly high school level courses. They used to be eligible for state college tuition assistance money until the program was cut in 1995. Do you think something like that would be beneficial not only in New York but in California? Yes, I mean, of course, it would be beneficial, you know, because education is a success, right? We all want to educate ourselves, but even in that education, I mean, I, I know of women who are doing time or have done time that has gotten their AA, their BA, their master's, and but they come back out to society, and they're not able to utilize that. So, you know, they're not able to utilize that. So what is the second part of that? Because if, uh, you know, providing education programs in prison, it, it gets you one step further. What can be done to help people secure jobs once they do get out of prison? Because as you mentioned, they put on that application, they check the box of have you ever been convicted of a felony? And as you're saying, that the application doesn't even get a second look at that point. So what can be done? I mean, I think society as a whole has to realize that change. You know, we, we've committed a crime, you know, we've paid for our time, we've done our, our, our sentence, as the law says, you know, but people change. Give us a chance. Stop looking at us as second-class citizens and realize that we're all together. You know, it's each one teach one type of thing. You know, they say it takes us to raise a child. Well, our communities are our villages, you know, and I think it, um, policies are going to have to be changed and people's minds are going to have to be changed just to give people a second chance at life, you know. We all want to do better. We all deserve the right to, to obtain a job, not only a job, but a career. We all have that right to live in a particular house, whatever neighborhood we want to be in, and not be rejected, you know, because we're constantly rejecting people. You're, you're, you're stepping on their self-esteem, you're stepping on their egos, you're stepping on them to where they start believing it, it's a condition that is being, um, being taught that you're nobody. And we are. Everybody is. All put on this earth to live and survive. And we all should help each other. So I think that the policies um, really need to be changed. You know, voting comes up and, you know, a lot of people go and they, they don't really even know what they're voting about. You know, take the time to read and, and, and educate yourself on these particular laws and the, the things that you think that is going to help your community. You know, Stop. Don't just read the, the bold print. Read the fine print also, because in that fine print, it's going to tell you exactly what's going to really happen. And, you know, most of the time we vote and you say, okay, yeah, this, this is going to be a good thing for our community. And then we begin, and a month later, a year later, we realize, oh, my God, is that what that meant? You know, so... Let's take the time to vote and help change some policies. What laws in particular are you um, are you thinking about when when you make that statement that people didn't read the fine print and they don't realize the consequences of these laws uh, well, down the road? Um, Ms. Berg, what was that law? Uh, um, yes, thank you. 
Yeah, I, I can think of one, and that was Marcy's Law. So Marcy's Law was advertised that uh, people will be notified once notified of the person being released who might have assaulted them. But what it did, and, that, and, and people were already being, it was already a law in the books that notified people once their perpetrator was released. But what it was added to Marcy's Law was, a clause that people serving life sentences would be able would would have a three, five, seven, and fifteen year delay in going back to the board of prison terms for release. So that part, people people were like, yeah, yeah, we need to um, notify people need to be notified if their perpetrator is released. But but what it did is delayed people's release that had been serving life sentences. And can, you can only imagine spending 20 years rehabilitating yourself and the Board of Prison Terms tells you to come back in 15 years. Uh, so that's one law. Also, the three strikes law that actually got repealed um, this last election, that was a law that was implemented in a way that people didn't understand that people would be getting um, uh, 20 years or, or licenses for um, stealing or for, for petty theft. And while we're talking uh, about laws and voting, I want to talk about uh, the voting rights of former felons because that is an issue uh, that is currently in the news because Attorney General Eric Holder has now called for the repeal of laws that prohibit felons from voting. Um, in California, former felons may vote, but the state prohibits voting by people incarcerated in prison or on parole. And I want to read a quote that um, Eric Holder said uh, this week. Those swept up in this system too often had their rights rescinded, their dignity diminished, and the full measure of their citizenship revoked for the rest of their lives. Uh, what do you think about what Eric Holder uh, has said? What Eric Holder said is right on. You know, we 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 struggled as a people. I'm talking about black people to have the right to vote. Uh, my mother marched. My grandfather died to have the right to vote. And when we talk about voting rights, I think of this one individual, Rosanna Woodmore, who also served a life sentence. She went to prison at the age of 19 and was released at the age of uh, 40. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, was released at the age of 45. She worked at A New Way of Life for four years, and I remember she was supposed to get off of parole in October of 2012. And um, they did not take, take her off parole. Flozell never got a, a chance to, to, to the vote. She registered because she thought she'd be off parole by the time of the vote. She's a 50-year-old woman who died. She, she, she had an aneurysm. And she never got got a, got a chance to vote. And and what 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 harm does voting do for to, for for people to exercise? I think that we want to have people be a whole part of our community, have responsibility for civic participation, have accountability for the way they live their lives in our community, and to deny them the right to cast the vote. It is it is wrong. It 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 it, it you know I, they they 
their sense of purpose and human dignity to be included in such a process that uh, that we're we're so proud of in this nation. So do you think that and, people who are in prison should have the right to vote? People who are on parole should have the right to vote? Should that right never be rescinded? That right should not be rescinded. What harm does it do for people to actually be able to cast a vote and be, be included in this democratic process in America? Why should people be excluded from a democratic process in America? You know, we're a nation that races to incarcerate. We're a nation that takes uh, people's freedom away for every and any social ill and then tell them they're not good enough to vote. They, they, they have to be discriminated against. Um, for the rest of their lives. And now I want to but ask this is you, America, and I want to the ask, land of the free. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, uh, I want to ask you about something last Friday uh, that took place: the the Linwood Prison Rising last Friday. Uh, now, yes. according to the Sentencing Project. Women in prison are more likely than men to be victims of staff sexual misconduct. More than three-quarters of all reported staff sexual misconduct involves women who were victimized by male correctional staff. So tell me about uh, what you guys did last Friday and and what can be done to address this issue. So there has to be a a heightened level of accountability for Correctional uh, staff um, that people who are inside uh, are protected, and the way in which they're treated are uh, people are accountable for. You know, we pay their salaries. We don't pay their salaries to to rape and to misuse, humiliate, and strip women. So, um, I've seen uh, male staff watching women being stripped, and it reminds me so much of the slave lines of the 18th century, women being stripped and and told to turn around and bend over uh, and uh, just humiliated and and degraded uh, in the prisons. And then there's uh, uh, children conceived uh, by guards while, um, while, while... women are incarcerated. So we rolled outside of um, Linwood Jail. We did a rising and a dance uh, in, the, in, in representation of those women who were behind the walls um, to stand up to say that we're watching and we're present, to stand up in honor of their lives and to let them know that their lives do matter. Uh, and it was, it was, I was, and I learned a new dance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I learned a new dance, too. Uh, it was really a, a wonderful day, um, and we plan to do a bigger rising next February 14th, February 2015. Well, uh, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, you talked about how some of the women 
are impregnated by the male guards. It reminded me of uh, something this week. Governor Deval Patrick in Massachusetts is also trying to initiate a new program to reduce recidivism. One part of that is a ban on the shackling of pregnant prisoners while in labor. The other series of changes is a renewed focus on substance abuse treatment and limits on the use of restraints on mentally ill inmates. What do you think about that program? I mean, women women shackled uh, uh, while giving birth is horrible. Uh, and, you know, I applaud him for his um, efforts to make a better, a better, to change the way in which people are treated. Um, so um, these are, these are, are, are things that we need to do uh, nationally. And there has to be a lot of attention and, and focus put on what do we do with people um, uh, inside and what would do we do to prevent them from going inside. There just needs to be a bit bigger, broader focus. And now, as I mentioned, yeah. sorry, uh, go on. I was going to ask Tiffany if she had comments on that. You know, there, there's a, you know, uh, there's also this uh, sterilization program going on within the prisons also. I don't know if you've, you've read or heard about that um, in Chowchilla State Prison in California. Tell me about that. So they have a yard in uh, Chowchilla where they keep all pregnant women, and all the babies are delivered by cesarean section. And um, the women are offered, uh, and it's strongly suggested, that when they have the cesarean that they agree to um, being sterilized. So if you're away (laughs) hundreds of miles from home, isolated, and the doctor keeps depriving you to become, um, to have this procedure, and the state of California, the taxpayers are paying for it, then, you know, you're pretty isolated and, and you can be persuaded. So they have a sterilization pro sterilization program that's going on in Chachilla State Prison that is just a um, a violation of people's of, of women's rights and human mm-hmm. rights to be persuaded like that. Also, it violates the um, California Department of Corrections code that they're even, even performing this um, procedure. So if it's violating the code, how is, how is something so terrible going on? Well, you know, they kind of they kind of act like they're outside of the law overall, and mm-hmm. there are uh, agent, there are uh, legal um, agencies, legal organizations that are pursuing getting to the bottom of it. Uh, ACLU, the law office, the prison law office, and organization Justice Now, they are pursuing it. But I mean, the way in which our Department of Corrections operate, they operate as if they're above and beyond the law. And that's why the federal uh, receivership, the federal courts mandated and took over the prisons. And did either of you, while you were in prison, see some of these things that we have been discussing in terms of the sexual abuse uh pregnant women giving labor in shackles, uh, some of the things that we've been discussing, have, did, did you witness that? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I spent 16 years in there, 
and I, I've seen all kinds of um, sexual abuse going on um, while in the um, every day you, you're you're locked up and you're released. You is controlled on the yard. You've been you're let out your room to go program. You're let out your room to go um, eat breakfast. You're let out your room to go eat dinner. Your schedule, you know, you're locked down at a certain hours of the day, and at night you're locked down at a certain hour every night, which gives the guards some control over you and your your um your just control over you. Period. Well, at night. Depending on either if you're working the night shift because something in it's or work the night shift, you're left alone with a guard or two, which are mostly male, you know, and, and they they get you to a point to to abuse you sexually, and you can't do anything about it. You're told that you can't do anything about it. You know, if you tell anybody, then you're going to lose this um this um. What is the word I'm looking for? You're going to lose activity. You're going to be locked up in, you know, we want to make sure that your life is a little, excuse me, hell while you're here. So you, you, you give in to the notion that they have complete control over you. You know, some of the officers, while everybody is locked down in their room sleeping, supposed to be sleeping, they're going around unlocking doors and picking and choosing which women they want to have sex with that night. You know, so... And then, and, and, and then I, I've seen sexual favors for food. Right. Um, right. Yeah, I have it. You know, sexual favors for makeup. Um, you know, it, it's just atrocious what happens. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, the way I came to find out about your organization was actually through uh, reading the popular book Orange is the New Black, which is also a television show that had its first season, which um, was, for many people, almost their first um, introduction into what women's prison is like. Uh, People who are so far removed from that and separated from that uh, saw... You know, obviously, this is a a show. It's based on, on a true story, but it's fictitious, and it is... A drama, but also a comedy, so it's not exact. Uh, but some of these things that you talk about was in the show, you know, the sexual abuse. Uh, one of the characters, right. Tasty, she uh, you know, was released from prison and then returned back shortly after because it was so difficult for her on the outside. So I want to ask you um, about that show, whether you think it's an accurate portrayal and, and what you think of it. So I think that... Um the show really has people talking. So I'm really uh, glad that the show um, has been uh, written. It's not an altogether true portrait of what happens in prison, but it is. it does shed light. So I'm really um, happy that they have created a show that sheds, that brings to the attention of uh, most folks, most Americans that, you know, people who watch it, that bring, that has people talking about what's going on here. Yeah. And, uh, now tell our viewers, uh, and our listeners if they want to find out more about this organization, how they, uh, either can get involved or, uh, just to find out more information where they can go. Yeah, they can go to our website, uh, anewwayoflife.org. Uh, to find out more about the organization, 
Um, and if they want to get involved, they can just send us an email through the website, or we can be reached by uh, phone at 323-563-3575. Well, thank you so much, and I want to thank you both, Tiffany and Susan, for taking the time out this morning uh, to discuss these issues with me. And... um, Thank you both for joining me, and hopefully we can have you on again in the future uh, to discuss uh, some some more of these issues. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you for the show, and thank your listeners for listening. Thank yeah. you. And uh, that was Susan Burton and Tiffany Johnson from A New Way of Life. That's newwayoflife.org. We will be back in a couple weeks with um, some exciting special guests. Lisa Bloom will be here discussing her new book, Suspicious Nation, about the Trayvon Martin murder. Uh, so we have some exciting guests coming up. Stay tuned. And as always, thank you so much for watching. I'm Mari Fagel. Tweet me at Mari Fagel. Have a good day. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Kristen, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at BHL Online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. The views expressed here are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.